I think the whole thing around, you know, what, what, watching my children grow and, and how they interact with data and how they interact with, with devices and form factors, they're much, much more comfortable with, with uh, mm-hmm. a, a mobile form factor, information at your fingertips, talking to their machines. And if you project that to the workforce, I think that's where next generation tooling is, is going to come into place. It's that like you got to be looking where the puck is going, as, as we say in Canada, um, in, in terms of how to enable that future workforce uh, to, to work with this new infrastructure. That is literally the, the nervous system of today's economy. Gosh. Nothing runs without data center. It is a pleasure for me to introduce Esmar Efendic, um, the co-founder and CTO of DC Smarter. Esmar? Thanks, Rami. Uh, it's my pleasure to be uh, your guest today and uh, really looking forward to what we're going to be talking about today. Fantastic. Uh, tell us a little bit about DC Smarter. What was the genesis of the idea? Yeah, I mean, uh, DC Smarter, uh, as the name says, uh, not so obvious, right? DC stands for the data center. And then we want to do data center smarter in a, or in a smarter way. Uh, so this idea got born two years ago uh, when together with my partner, we we had this kind of same problem in, in our corporate uh, professional life. And it was always um, how to address staff shortages, how to talk about uh, uh, on-site support inside of the data center, collocated enterprise data center and so on. And... Um, yeah, we wanted to kind of do something about it because the continuous solution to that problem was I can get you more people to solve your problem. But that was just delaying um, actually the, uh, the, real, uh, the real problem. So uh, we sat down, looked into the market, looked into the technology stack, what is available, what is emerging. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, that's how we came with the DC Smarter, leveraging something cool like augmented reality, enabled through artificial intelligence as well. And uh, yeah, now just trying to help everyone out there uh, with our solution uh, to address some of these uh, challenges we face every day in the data center. Fantastic. And that's that's really where um, we're seeing, I mean, augmented reality, AI are big buzzwords right now in the data center industry. You've got a huge drive for retooling driven by uh, some of the challenges. Um, I mean, we're recovering the challenges right now in the data center industry. You're looking at, you know, uh, we kind of classified those into four forces. Uh, mm-hmm. The four, the first one is the, the current talent shortage. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second one is the rise of edge and the increased complexity of data centers and data center operations. So that's You've got talent shortage and you've got more distributed, more complicated infrastructure. Uh, and at the same time, you've got security and compliance and, mm-hmm. and all sorts of things driving reporting needs, monitoring needs uh, uh, in, in the data center industry. So h- how do you see, how do you see uh, AI and, and uh, augmented reality or mixed reality in general uh, feeding into that and helping um, um, solve these problems mm. i mean you kind of hit the nail with all the big uh, the big problems and uh, i think also the reality is that's not gonna uh, go away right anytime soon 
the uh, the need for the general digital transformation, I just call it like that. Mm-hmm. Nations at different paces are catching up with each other um, uh, from the high tech uh, countries to a con- uh, countries which are entering just, I don't know, uh, with the online payment system and so on. Uh, but all of that to run, you need to have infrastructure to enable that, right? Yes. And uh, this is, was the necessity where Edge com- actually uh, exploded or it's continuously to, uh, exploding with its demands. You need to serve your customers as close as you can. Uh, I think the idea around public cloud uh, as well, that it's going to replace the data centers forever, uh, didn't actually fly. <laughs> we all know that, even though that data centers anyways, uh, or clouds anyways, someone sells data center. Uh, but in an in a essence, uh, we or I personally see that the particularly the edge is a huge, huge uh, uh, growth phenomenon. Yes. And maybe just to mention a couple of examples, right? Uh, automotive industry, autonomous cars, uh, they need it's so much power to process that. Wheels. Exactly. Um, if you think about all what happening on the manufacturing due to the different demands in the food, in the healthcare, etc. Again, huge driver for the uh, huge amount of compute. You need edge for that. And yes. uh, yeah, uh, that's, that's really um, all that problem. And maybe just kind of scratching the question of yours, how AR or augmented mixed reality can help or artificial intelligence. Um, in order to... Uh, support that uh, decentralized spaces anymore. <clears throat> so we went from decentralized to centralized to decentralized to centralized, and now we again in a decentralized infrastructure, yes. right? You don't, you cannot have any more computer just sitting in one ge- geography and it's going to serve the globe. That doesn't work uh, like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and how to support that operationally to keep up and running. So at the end of the day, it's all about uptime. It's good as long as up and online, right? Yes. Up shortage, you don't have experienced people all, uh, all, everywhere, uh, and there's a big gap into the in the age market as well. So with the augmented reality, we actually can leverage this technology to remove the barriers. Simple as that. Because once you're in front of the rack, in front of I don't know uh, cooling component or whatsoever, uh, it's a big metal box, and uh, you are there and you need to fix that or you need to do some maintenance, or you need to do some fresh installations. Mm-hmm. And you cannot always know everything, or person who is doing doesn't know everything always how to do that. So yes. through the augmented reality, there is a rich data out there somewhere stored that we can overlay for the engineers in front of them, right? In front of these big metal boxes and make them immediately super uh, smart, super intelligent, super mm-hmm. efficient, because suddenly there's no more, oh, where's my laptop? I don't have, uh, I don't know, uh, access, or I need to call my colleague. He needs to drive in, he needs to fly in, and all of that complexity. So for me, augmented reality or mixed reality or any of these realities you want to call that, um, it's a perfect way of removing these boundaries, removing these lines, and actually have physical and digital world talking to each other. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I see this in science fiction drew all of this for us years ago, where you see somebody kind of looking at a at a at a piece of equipment like, what am I looking at? Oh, you're looking at this. Okay, can pull me the manual, pull me the service. Where is this piece of the of the of the equipment? What do I need to do to perform this operation? Okay, call in this person to help me out and monitor and record all of that stuff and push it. 
so that we can reference it in the future. And and it it it's a fantastic future, and I think we're getting closer. Uh, we're actually there, uh, in a lot yeah. of cases, we're there. Hmm. Um, a lot of that stuff is in my mind driven by the increased instrumentation, data center, uh, next generation tooling. Um, as as uh, people transition from uh, legacy monolithic uh, tooling to more distributed, agile, um, consolidated tooling that is integrated with with uh, with systems like augmented reality, where where do you see AI playing a role in that? Hmm. I mean, um, AI is actually. Um... The real reason why I strongly believe that the augmented or extended mixed reality will come to life and will become every day's a norm in the future, yeah. or even today already. Because just painting a nice picture in front of you, putting some nice, I don't know, diagrams, wireframes, or whatsoever, that's only nice, but doesn't solve the problem. Mm -hmm. Physical context through augmented reality, you actually start to live the Star Wars life that we that was recorded already in the 80s, right? where you can ask, okay, what I'm actually facing in front, I never saw this any uh, before. So there's some documentation about it. And then using an AI that can, first of all, analyze with you, that can uh, talk with you as well, uh, mm -hmm. that can give you recommendations, but you still have a uh, power to decide if that recommendation makes sense, right? So it's that's also important key to mention. Yep. And uh, Bringing that into the uh, augmented reality space is a completely different, uh, different um, uh, game change, and we see that by latest announcements uh, from CES, for example, what is developing from the hardware side in augmented reality. Mm -hmm. A lot of new uh, wearable glasses are coming uh, that supporting in one or the other way AR specific capabilities. Um, yes. I mean, it's complete in some of these. Uh, it's, it's huge. It's uh, huge. It's it's going to overrun the best um, the best smartphones in next 12 months. They're going to be by factor of probably five, ten uh, more powerful. Um, and we just saw two weeks back uh, on the pre-order for the uh, Apple Vision Pro. So that went within 15 minutes gone. Uh, so there's a strong appetite. Um, because it's so much appealing, it's so much resolving some problems which we cannot anymore resolve. I need to write a better process. I need to train people better. I need to, I don't know, bring more people. You actually need to have as well the right technology uh, to do some of these things. Absolutely. Absolutely. And in a lot of cases, you need, um, um, you need the right training uh, and then you need the right systems to support that AI. In my mind, mm -hmm. There are two components to that. The first component is the whole uh, statistical model uh, and the traditional what what people call uh, machine learning. In terms of you know all of the statistics, all of the projections, um, all of the data correlations, and everything like that that is inside the the and sits on top of the data pipeline. And on the other side, you've got the uh, neural network component uh, of which one of the aspects of that neural network component is the whole generative AI large language model mm -hmm. uh, uh, component um, that deals with things like natural language um, uh, interface uh, or as, as people call right now, low friction interfaces where you can actually mm -hmm. talk to and, and, and request something. 
But even then, what most what what I found a lot of people kind of don't really realize is that asking a question like "What am I looking at?" is actually extremely complex. Oh yeah. <laughs> so you you probably for, for well, non layers of neural networks and statistical models just to answer that question in a in a specific context. Go exactly. ahead. Sorry. No, no. Just wanted to say, say for non-human, let me just put it like that. That's a super complex uh, question yeah. to answer. For us humans, we know if it's a door, if it's a window, if it's a chair, right? But uh, yeah. what I'm looking at, that's uh, that yeah. took some time to develop. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're looking at a rack. What am yeah. I looking at? All right. Well, yeah. you've got like, you know, X amount of Lenovo servers and X amount of storage boxes and Okay, well, that looks like a Juniper network switch, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. Uh, so in terms of that, um, uh, in my mind, tools are force multipliers. Mm -hmm. And how do you see that affecting and working with the challenges around talent, uh, around training? um around uh, compliance do you have any thoughts there yeah um i, th I think specifically around uh, training or talent uh talent shortage right how we can bring now new generations faster into the job because the demand is bigger uh, not just for the hands on deck but really the mm -hmm. demand for knowledgeable uh, talents it's it's quite high uh, and I believe the traditional approach, how to train someone, you put it like yeah. six months in the classroom, you drive him, drive him five months of a, uh, of a theory, and then one month you send him in the field. And then after that, he still needs two years to learn what he needs to do. Uh, and I think that this six months can already be used, that you actually, after six months, you can send him, or he's already working. Let me put it like that. So that's one of the key um, benefits of uh, using uh, augmented reality uh, as a technology because it provides this immersive experience. We as humans better react on anything visual than rather on a written text. Yes. Uh, yeah. Lines of text, of text, of procedures, we need more time than AI to repeat it, to memorize it. But if we see it once, we actually quite better response to that. And yep. uh, Augmented reality provides a quite a controlled environment actually to train yourself. You cannot break anything, but you still get, or your brain still gets this sensation that I have touched the server. I have removed the cable. I have uh, changed the uh, fuse on the switch breaker. I don't know any of these things that you can imagine that usually could be dangerous because if you're not experienced, you can, uh, yeah, you can have um, uh, any of these uh, unfortunate events. Um, augmented reality doesn't, uh, or actually removes that risk, and then you can uh, leave um, uh, uh, newcomers to learn. And most importantly, this is something what I'm going to tell you fr from my experience a few months back. Uh, for the uh, younger generations, you need to also give an, uh, a, some a kick, something interesting, why to attract them. Just by saying the fact, hey, you're going to go in a data center, it can be cold, it can be hot as well, it can be yes. loud as well, and you need to spend there eight to 10 hours. Doesn't sound really appealing, right? And you need to do that next 20 years. So, uh, so the value proposition of saying, okay, we're going to put you in a very noisy room that is very cold or very hot, depending on whether you're in the hot aisle yeah. or cold aisle. Yeah. And hey, by the way, you're using Excel to manage all of this. Good luck. And if something goes wrong, everybody's going to be screaming at you. 
Yes. Sounds really appealing, right? <laughs> so listen to this, like uh, three months back, uh, there was one something happening in Germany. So like a op data center open door uh, somehow, really nice thing, just to kind of um, spread the uh, kind of awareness between the general population, what data center is about. So it's not a myth, it's where your Facebook sits, it's where your WhatsApp is running, it's all of these tools that you are consuming every day for granted. Um, and I had the pleasure to run two uh, high school classes it was yes. cool. The teacher brought the kids to show them actually what that is. Uh, and they went through the entire from A to Z, uh, the guide uh, took mm -hmm. them. You know, this is super advanced cooling mechanism. So some uh, airflow system, pumps, etc. All of this, what we like to see nowadays, right? Yeah. But for them was hmm, interesting. Now. And then it came the last 20 minutes where I pulled two pair of glasses and say, hey, guys and girls, let's do something different. This is how we can actually maintain the data centers. So I gave them the glasses and then you see immediately complete different reaction. They were queuing up. Every single of them had the glasses for at least five minutes. And I had two times 26 kids and five of them approached me and said, Hey, if I start working in a data center, is this uh, something I get instead of my laptop? I said, yeah, just let me know when you're ready to start working. So this is a Let's bit see. funny. Uh, but it's also a fact. Uh, we need to accept the fact that the new generations need to have a different way of doing the work. And I'm not saying how we are doing it today or in the past is wrong, but we need to evolve. As uh, yeah, I, think, I think you're right. I think the whole thing around, you know, what, what, what watching my children grow and, and how they interact with data and how they interact with with devices and form factors, they're much, much more comfortable with, with uh, mm -hmm. a, a mobile form factor information at your fingertips, talking to their machines. And if you project that to the workforce, I think that's where next generation tooling is, is going to come into place is that you got to be looking where the puck is going, as, as we say in Canada, um, in terms of how to enable that future workforce uh, to, to work with this new infrastructure. That is literally the, the nervous system of today's economy. Nothing runs without data centers. Absolutely. Okay, let's let's step back a little bit and and, and talk about some of the <laughs> the issues around data collection and how how those next generation tooling is going to be working with that data. In my mind when I see uh you know uh, a lot of this the stock, I see a lot of the assumptions being made is that that's the biggest I think false assumption when it comes to uh, AI and, and AR work. One is that they, there is always an assumption that these models, uh, that, that the data is there, when in fact it's not. Mm -hmm. And a lot of work needs to happen. And a lot of work is happening right now in the infrastructure business to enable that data pipeline. Uh, you see that from anywhere, from the uh, small uh, rack power distribution units to uh, sensors, to telemetry, uh, to all of that stuff. So how does uh, an AI model and an augmented reality system interact with this data in, you know, keeping in mind things like compliance, security, mm -hmm. privacy, how does that work? Yeah. So I think um, a few things there, right? 
first of all, uh, to your point, uh, there's almost uh, we actually have less data than what we think to, uh, uh, that we need to operate at the data center. Mm -hmm. So just based on my experience, we run in average that the truth is somewhere between 30 or 40 percent of the data that you actually have that is accurate. Uh, uh, and that's f f by far too below that you can say I can operate an excellence um, mm -hmm. type of operations. So uh, bringing augmented reality into this context, uh, and again, enabled by the AI, who can actually make sense for you with the data that you have, and then uh, employing that through the augmented reality, where you can use, I know, different camera systems uh, and similar hardware to help you to analyze while you're walking through. Yeah. Because traditionally, you already mentioned Excel, right? Today, you would set someone out there with a huge amount of Excel sheets that someone mm -hmm. populate, that someone is still us humans, uh, and that means error is given. It's yep. not how, it's not going to happen. It's like just how much, and you actually have now a possibility that when you use the AR because you have that data visualized around the physical space, you can then employ the AI to tell you okay what's wrong, what's not wrong. We already talk about like visual interpretation of the of the statuses is much more far, powerful than just a simple string. Yeah. Um, you can literally walk through the aisles of recs and within per rec within minutes come to a conclusion what I'm missing, what I'm done, what I what it's accurate and what I'm not miss what I'm actually missing, I'm just gonna push in. And then all of your stuff that is running, so all of that next generation tooling then becomes even much more powerful because now yeah. they can work on the right data. They can provide the right recommendations, the right optimizations as well, right? Let's take simple example and capacity. The uh, uh, what is today is uh, uh, is most asked how many height units I have available per rec, because my machine that is coming it's now getting from two height unit, one height unit already four height unit, eight height unit. You need to put this big uh, GPU machines right inside to actually enable all of this AI that you and me are talking about. Um, and you go there, you have a brand new systems or systems delivered, but you don't have place because you had the yeah. wrong assumption that you have place, but there's still something running there. And those are like trivial small things, right? But that's the everyday's problem that needs to be resolved. Yeah. Uh, not only that, but things like stranded capacity management, where you, mm -hmm. you definitely have space, but you don't have power, or you have power and space, but you don't have cooling uh, or network. Mm -hmm. um, okay. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. Absolutely. So now let's let's step back a little bit and, and and talk about you know given all of these that there's a huge rise in prefab uh, data centers, edge data centers. Mm -hmm. How does that play into all of this? Back in the day, uh, and back in the day, I mean, even as, as as far back as like, you know, 10 years ago, most of the stuff was in large data centers. Now you're seeing um, deployments of a lot of mini data centers in remote locations. Uh, you see uh, in uh, smart city planning, uh, data center modules buried in the street mm -hmm. running uh, anywhere from, you know, r running traffic lights, running cameras, running sensors and telemetry. 
and so on and so forth. How do you see? How do you see that? You know, back when we had like, if you're dealing with ten data centers, that's big enough. Now you're dealing with those ten data centers that didn't change, and now you have, you know, five hundred more containers deployed in cities, and then you need to manage that. How how does that work? Mm. I think that's uh, that's a challenge that uh, no one actually anticipated it's going to be that big, because I think uh, most uh, at the very beginning with this idea of the edge, it was just okay, it's going to be a couple of racks, but then someone forget actually to multiply that. Yes, couple of racks, but to your yep. point, it's going to be 500 per city, and then when you multiply that by number of cities we have, and um, it, it's simply amazing number how much is out there. So if you if someone would actually do a calculation, I would not be surprised to say uh, that in five years, we're going to actually have more compute at the edge than public cloud and the colos uh, uh, together. Would yep. not be surprised at all. And there's a simple reason for that. So smart city, for example, right? You put all of that because you want to uh, put, uh, you want to kind of uh, evolve your uh, economy. To evolve economy, you need to usually increase your pace. To increase your pace, you need to be able to make smarter decisions or faster decisions. Yep. And make the so fast decisions, then come this buzzword AI, and AI needs power. It needs compute power, it needs network power, and it it was already proven. You need to put it where actually the processing is happening. Yeah, uh, you need to put it closer to the data. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. I mean, uh, as, uh, I mean, I, I know I, I use a smart car example, uh, a self-driving car example uh, quite a bit, but um, you can't wait for a round trip to analyze whether you're going to be hitting a pedestrian or not. That, that analysis needs to happen on the car. Exactly. And we are talking not more um, seconds, but nanoseconds response time or even much, much smaller numbers. Absolutely. And I mean, maybe building on top of that, what we what we also discuss now, all of that distributed infrastructure, it's everywhere, right? Mm -hmm. um, that needs to be operated and kind of bring us back to the beginning of our discussion. Uh, who is going to do that? Do we have enough people to do that? Do we have enough talent to go out there? Are we present in every location yep. where we actually need to do that? And uh, by using technologies, again, like augmented reality, it actually gives you an, quite a simplified way how you can enable the masses to support you than rather the other way around, where you go for more specialized type of um, uh, type of a skill set. Absolutely, I was uh, I was talking to um, some people in the industry. I'm not going to mention names right now, but I mean we were talking about some of the trends, and I, I think in in ten years or maybe even sooner, we're going to see autonomous data centers. We're going to see data centers that are completely 100% robotic, 100% mm. instrumented, uh, all running distributed resilient infrastructure that can handle, let's say, 30 40% failure without losing SLA. Mm -hmm. um, even to the extent where you don't even put oxygen in those data centers. Mm -hmm. Where things oxygen burns, things oxidize. But why not either immerse it completely, mm -hmm. or put uh, an inert gas like uh, argon or nitrogen? Or well, nitrogen is not inert, but 
it's not flammable as much as oxygen and and you just basically compress the whole thing and 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 just put it somewhere and and it's bury it stick it in the ocean as microsoft did and uh -huh. and, and run it and and uh, i mean you're going to see that as well as 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 you know maybe a little bit further down the line in space and so on and so forth that 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 level of autonomous uh uh compute and uh, well not autonomous compute but uh, uh, autonomous and autonomously run uh data centers um will mean that you you will not be able to manage it without that force multiplier uh that that requires that the extra data analysis data visualization where a human in the middle uh is able to make decisions uh, run maintenance operations initialize some robotic functions etc but that's that's going a little bit down the line now let's circle back to, to to the four challenges and the four pillars so we spoke about talent shortage we spoke about edge growth let's circle back to security how how do you see all of this playing with security and uh, you know there's multiple vectors to security of course there is you know, traditional network security. There's physical security. There's uh, how, how does that how does that play? Mm. I mean, um, I think I mean generally cybersecurity is um, uh, in terms of the awareness and the impact to the economy, to the enterprises, to the businesses, year by year, just growing, right? Yeah. Uh, and um, but we are coming to a point where the governments cannot uh, anymore ignore that fact. So I think up to last year, uh, we were more in a mode, what I called recommendations. So you had some specific yep. standards, some guidelines, which is nice, good, recommended to have. Uh, but it's reaching the point where when the economies are impacted, you can basically impact the entire country economy uh, in a single minute due to some mm -hmm. cyber breach, etc. cetera. Uh, and for that, uh, we are seeing in Europe, we are seeing uh, in other states as well across the globe uh, that the that the states and countries actually now bringing regulations, legislation in place yeah. that you need to be responsible to a certain minimum level and actually have to say it's quite high already, that minimum level, what they call of yeah. cybersecurity. And there's actually a good reason. So I'm fully supportive to that uh, in order to uh, ensure that we defend the economy. Right. And the interesting fact, if you like, kind of read, read, read all of these long documents, what you need to do, all of the EDR, the um, uh, different protections on the endpoint, at the edge, on the network level, plus yeah. all the security, uh, different um, uh, measures you can employ. It comes down to a single fact. You can only protect what you know what you have. Exactly. It just comes down to a single fact. And if you have a stale server, a system somewhere hooked up where, I don't know, someone for, or someone remove a route on the network. So it's not anymore accessible from the command central. So for the command central, that system doesn't exist, but actually still up running and there's an access uh, interest to it. That's your weak spot and can crumble the entire cybersecurity that you have employed around the highest and the greatest doors, the cameras, the yeah. retina sensors and all of that just because of that one asset. And we know it's not just one asset that we don't know we don't have, that we don't have. And for me, that's a exciting and the scary thing at the same time that actually just because of one single system, 
everything can be encrypted, locked down, and lost forever. I I I agree. I mean, in, if if I were to summarize, I would say you got two vectors here uh, or two things that you need to work on. One is situational awareness, and there's multiple layers there. Your asset register uh, and the data data pipeline coming in uh, from from those assets and mm -hmm. sensors. So situational awareness, and and this is where certainly AI is a partner in terms of that, whether it's statistical analysis, large language model, even control pipelines that are connected somehow to AR in terms of raising alerts and performing actions. Uh, the other one is reaction time. Mm -hmm. So you, you, situational awareness and improved detection and reaction time. And you can't get one without the other. And it's kind of a symbiotic relationship between the two. And uh, uh, data centers uh, are certainly a huge um, um, target uh, for uh, malicious actors, uh, be it state actors or you know just general cybercrime, etc. And um, certainly, uh, that adds to the workloads of current uh, infrastructure and operations team, and it doesn't. And it, it, the extra layer of compliance and certifications and all of that stuff is not making the situation. It, it is it is good, but but in terms of the workload, it's not making it better. No, no, so, no. <laughs> so, absolutely not. So, um, and I, I think uh, there's a lot of um, things to say about about how you view that and how you view your situation there, how you view your position there as an infrastructure and operations manager and, and where do you see uh, yourself creating this um, kind of tooling stack and, and roadmap for hiring, training, and tooling that will help you deal with that in an efficient way. Throwing mm -hmm. more, more bodies at a problem uh, can be beneficial, but without guidance, without the right tools and frameworks, it's not going to be. It's not going to be very um, effective. Let's put it yeah. this way. No. Okay. Compliance. Compliance. So you've got it. so many stacks or so many um, kind of layers. So you've got now, you've got your environmental compliance and reporting, and we're seeing Europe leading the way there, followed by California and other states. And then below that, you've got layers of compliance around security and all of that stuff. So we discussed security, but but in general, in terms of you know power utilization, in uh, tracking, uh, power reporting in relation to uh, environmental reporting and all of that stuff, wh where do you see that uh, kind of fitting into this whole idea of AI, uh, next generation tooling, and um, uh, optimization vis-a-vis -vis mm -hmm. AR and other 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 tool stacks. I think um, uh, around this um, um, energy efficiency, right? So everything what you have kind of listed out there, well, it plays a lot now uh, the reaction uh, to that challenge uh, to that problem. So uh, here we see as well the trend that it's not anymore nice to have. It's not anymore just a standard or recommendation. Is mm -hmm. becoming as well something which is um, uh, which is becoming a law that companies 
operators need to comply with. And that puts a different, uh, diff, uh, more pressure on, on the same right. On the other side, they need to deliver in terms yep. of the capacity. Uh, and then now they also need to comply uh, to some of these regulations. I think um, AI um, is already progressing quite strongly in this uh, segment, providing insights and recommendations, how you can run your um, uh, data centers, your cages, your rooms more efficiently, how yep. you can distribute better your workloads, uh, how to work the red spots right in your environment, reduce the power consumption just by optimizing your workloads better. Um, what is then the next step in, in order really to reach that, um, or at least to come closer to that goal uh, of the efficiency, is we still need to go out in the field and see how things are built. Mm -hmm. And this is where augmented reality is kind of bringing this added value. We have that huge amount of data from different sensors collected, uh, from different uh, smart devices collected. And now you put an AI who can make sense out of that. Yep. And then the final piece of it, now I need to see it actually to understand it, what AI is trying to tell me of this pool of data. And throwing kind of the entire digital twin uh, using augmented reality of mm -hmm. the facility down from the room up to uh, the entire floor and so on, it actually helps you to find faster. Where is your airflow broken? Uh, where you actually have a design flaws that you didn't uh, think about where you have an extra rack, where you thought, okay, physically it can fit there and I can still comply with my regulatory distances from left and right, right? Uh, but it's actually breaking my uh, cooling uh, engineering, what I have put inside. So putting yep. that and seeing actually air with your eyes, you cannot see the air with your eyes, but augmented reality air, you can now see how the air is flowing uh, flowing around the, uh, of your, um, uh, your uh, locations, etc. Uh, it's something what I see a lot of uh, folks in a facility desperately need because yes. now they actually can say, okay, this we cannot build it here. We need to move it. We need capacity and so on. Oh, absolutely. I, I think, you know, when you look at CFD analysis that happens at the beginning mm -hmm. and on occasional times in the life cycle of a data center, which can span 25 years, 30 years, in some cases, you're making a huge investment. But then there isn't that those opportunities and a lot of the assumption and, and the you know industry landscape and, and even power availability and all of that stuff and equipment that you would put in there have changed. Hmm? I mean, rack densities have changed for sure. Um, uh, uh, server draw has changed. Now with AI and, uh, and running AI models, you're running GPUs, uh, you're consuming... 10 amp, uh, you know, you're looking 30 amp, two, two or three or four sometimes 30 amp circuits in, in one rack. And that was in a lot of the, the older data centers. That was never a consideration. I mean, to be honest, five years ago, never consider what you just said. Yet alone the older data centers when they were built like 10, 15 years ago, five years yes. ago, uh, in the in the widest um, um, kind of dreams and discussions, 16, that was kind of the maximum what my rank is going to have. And yes. today you're already talking four times more um, for per rack that you need. And yep. then you have hundreds of racks. So that's a crazy factor, man. Yeah. And, and any type of CFD analysis or any type of planning that you've done at the beginning is not going to cut it. Nope. 
now you're doing these optimizations and you're looking at retrofit and you think, oh, what, what is my situation right now? Where are the bottlenecks? What are my, where is my stranded capacity? Am I over-provisioned? Am I under-provisioned? What metrics do, should I look at? And uh, yeah, a, a lot of that stuff hinges on the power of the tooling and the power of, of, of the, 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 the roadmap vision in terms of tooling and staffing and, 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 and vision for managing uh, the infrastructure. Absolutely. And I will maybe just add to that. I think um, um, the time is already uh, over that we can really rely on our 10-year uh, plans anymore. Even five years plan are yes. actually hard, hard to keep up, right? Yeah. So I think we it's, need to, it's one or two years at a time right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So you need to, first of all, um, empower the people who are operating the data centers that they, yeah. every day, they know exactly what's, what can go there and what cannot. And on the other side, Going back to your tooling uh, mentioned, you need to give them the right tools. Mm -hmm. If they have the right tools, they have the necessary experience, they know these facilities in and out, you need to enable them, empower them, they can then make these decisions and they need to make it more frequently. They need to make the, in an agile way, how we like to say that in the software development, you need to iterate, iterate, iterate. Yes. And the demand is continuously just uh, landing on your table. And you cannot wait as well infrastructure. Yeah, exactly. Fantastic. I mean, if I may, I'll, I'll finish with a framework that uh, our, our CEO coined in. Um, that's the 3S framework, which mm -hmm. is the secure, sustain, and streamline. And uh, very simplistically, when you're looking at your operations, you want to sustain it, make sure it's operating. Make sure uh, uh, in a, in a, in an efficient and effective way, and you want to secure it, and you want to streamline it. Looking at the past, the data that's coming in, and projected plans for the future. And I would add what you just said: do it in an agile way, agile infrastructure. Mm -hmm. It's Mari Fendich. Thank you so much. This has been a pleasure. I hope we can have you one more time and uh, always enjoy our chats. Thank you so much. Thank you as well, Rami. It was a pleasure talking with you today. Thanks. Absolutely. Thanks a lot.